Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The Big Vets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast. This is our G5 Deep Dive edition, looking at NFL draft sleepers, which means we're one step closer to getting into the post-spring, into media days, into fall camps, and next thing you know, college football is back. So this is the natural next step, as I mentioned in our episode last week. It's kind of like graduation day for a lot of the G5 studs that we'd love to pump out throughout the fall. Identifying them, becoming their biggest fans is one of the best parts of this podcast for me personally. I'll also speak for Ionello, you know, really targeting some of these Mac kids, Sunbelt, Mountain West. Being the first on the bandwagon feels great. And certainly our smugness is over the 100% threshold when it comes to the NFL draft. Because when you hear a name called and your buddies are like, who's that? And you're like, excuse me, you were referring to Khalil Pimpleton III, and he is fantastic. And I'm going to tell you why you should be so excited. Let's let's talk about some of our favorite players, and particularly the sleepers in this draft, where only psychos like you and me have watched multiple games of these kids play. But we'll start with a guy who's on the national radar in a huge way, and that's Bailey Zappi. Bailey Zappi. Just one more accolade, one more feather in his cap. It was recently released his Wonderlick score off the charts. The highest for this draft class. Matt Corral got a little bit higher than a pet rock, but Bailey Zappi really high up there. It matters for some positions. Quarterback certainly is up there. Frank Gore, I think, got a six back in the day. He ended up playing for you know two and a half decades. Doesn't necessarily matter for the skill positions, but quarterback, you got to feel just a little bit better, if, if that's even possible, about Bailey Zappi. Where are you with the Zap God here heading into the NFL draft? Oh, the Zap God. I could talk about him forever. You mentioned graduation. I feel like we are the two proud dads of young Bailey Zappi watching him graduate and we could not be prouder like you said smart kid we raised a smart one did we and that's huge especially for a quarterback especially one of these like yes we love zappy 
Obviously, we all, if you listen to this podcast before, record-setting season, 62 touchdowns, 5,900 yards. Does he project as an NFL starter? I don't know. Maybe maybe a couple injuries happen. Um, he'll come in. But I think the Wonderlic score is huge for him because he does kind of project as, you know, a backup. And I think a smart, you know, backup who can study film. He does. He can go in. He can play in any offense, you know, slinging around. Not the strongest arm, but he can make most of the throws. Um, I know a name you threw out when we were texting earlier this week was Chase Daniel, you know, which I love, um, you know, it, can he have that career path to me? Absolutely. To me, another one, I, I look at it and this is kind of more, I feel like the, the upside uh, Chase Daniel got paid a lot without doing as much. Um, but another guy I kind of look at and compare Zappi to uh, is Case Keenum, you know, Case Keenum is a guy who wasn't even drafted. So he was not even like, you know, Bailey Zappi's projected, you know, round three, round four, round five. Like he's definitely going to be drafted. Keenum was not even drafted. He put up 5,600 yards and 48 touchdowns his last year at Houston, threw the ball all over the yard. Uh, is he still the career passing record holder? I believe he is because he played like nine years in Houston, but he's already played 10 years in the NFL. He has started 64 games and he has carved out a very nice career for himself. So to me, Bailey Zappi could easily have the same career path as Case Keenum. So that's kind of how, how I'm hoping his career turns out. And I think the Wonderlick score was huge. I think he's a guy that, you know, having that some, someone who's that smart, knows the offense, has, has been able to do it at a high level, um, obviously made the jump from, from Houston Baptist to Western Kentucky. Um, cannot say enough things about the Zap God. Zap God, punt God, you want those two guys on your team. I'm going to go a little bit deeper in the cut for my comparison on him. I'm going to go Billy Volick, the uh, the old San Diego Chargers backup. I don't care about his win-loss record. I don't care about the touchdowns. Guy made close to $15 million in his career and certainly doesn't have CTE. I think that's a huge benefit of being an NFL backup quarterback. I'd love to see you know, uh, Zappi get picked up by one of the you know top offensive teams we were texting about it. You were saying wouldn't be bad insurance policy behind Aaron Rodgers, you know, someone who gets rid of the ball quickly, you know, can make most of the throws. He's not someone who's going to be confused for Josh Allen or anything like that. But the fact of the matter is he was so prolific last year because he could handle not only throwing the ball 50, 60 times a game, but in so many cases, he was dealing with an empty backfield, no tight end to chip, no running back to help. So he knew he had to get rid of the ball really fast. And some of the complaints I have for the top prospects in this draft, it's a lot of guys who hold on to the ball trying to make the big time plays. He's somebody who I think understands how to play within a system and he's smart enough to adapt to a system, you know, should he get drafted, let's say in the fourth or fifth round and put him in a position to be, you know, coming into a camp as an understudy, as a backup. I think this is all trending in the positive direction for him. And I'm really excited. A player I mentioned on the last podcast, I just want to run through quickly was the guy he threw all the passes to last year. And that was Jarrett Cerns guy reined in 150 receptions. He ran pretty well and tested pretty well at the combine. Obviously he's small. He's certainly on the smaller side, but I think he is someone who could, you know, catch on with the team as a third or fourth option. So it's a question in a very deep draft class at wide receiver. Is he someone as a fifth, sixth or seventh round pick? Is he a, you know, undrafted free agent? Is he someone that a team really has earmarked as, yeah, we didn't take him the seventh round, but we anticipate him making the team. I think so. And he reminds me of James Proch from the Ravens. 
you know, having a prolific career at SMU. So another G5 hero making good in the NFL. I think that's where he's headed. Um, and also when you look at his performance against some of the better pass defenses they played, it didn't really matter throughout the year, whether they're playing App State or Indiana or Marshall, like he, he was there and he was making plays. So I like the kid a lot. Um, is there any other wide receivers at the G5 level that you're interested in, in the sleeper category for this draft? Because as I mentioned, there's probably five to six players at the wide receiver position that are going to go off the board in the first, let's call it 40 picks that probably have a pro bowl ceiling. So a really deep draft class, but who are some of the guys that you have circled that you'll elbow your buddy and say, man, I can't believe you got this guy in the fifth rounds. He's going to be an impactful player. Yeah. As you mentioned, very deep draft for G five receivers. You know, we already talked about Sky Moore, Jalen Tober on the first one, you know, Calvin Austin probably goes in that third round five foot seven, you know, he's small, but he's, he's going to be a, a fun little gadget for creative offenses. You know, he's a guy that I could see, you know, if, if Debo Samuel, you know, would bang on his situation, like he's a guy that would be fun in that Kyle Shanahan offense where you could kind of use a little out of the backfield, a little, little Swiss army knife you got there. Um, you know, you mentioned obviously uh, Stearns, who I do think I'm hoping sneaks into those, those late couple rounds, but you know, Alec Pierce is the guy that we probably see come off the fourth round. Uh, Khalil Shakir is another good one out of Boise State. I love Shakir. He he was kind of a one where I'm I feel like I'm higher on him the most just because I never really believed in Hank Bachmeyer. And, and if you watch Boise State, he was their whole offense. Their entire game plan was just throw it up to to Shakir. So I am very high on Khalil Shakir. He's he's one I'm interested in. Um, you know, one I definitely want to talk to you about a little bit more is, is Romeo Dubs because I'm, I want to get your take on Carson Strong and how much was Dubs a product of Carson Strong? You know, he's another one that's probably in that fourth, fifth round. Uh, you got two SMU guys, Danny Gray and Reggie Roberson. We'll probably both hear their names called. Um, Javon Hiley uh, out of Coastal Carolina is another one we'll probably hear called. Um, and as far as the guy that's going to be a late round pick, you mentioned him. Khalil Pimpleton is just one of the most fun players to watch in this draft. I don't know that he has, you know, he does not, I don't think he has pro bowl ceiling. I don't, I don't know that he's going to be this superstar game changer on offense, but he's a guy that, you know, your team's going to draft him. You've probably never heard of him. And then he's going to catch a ball in the preseason. You're going to go, who the hell was that guy flying down the field? So, so Pimpleton's one where he's one of those guys where like, you know, the sixth, seventh round, you've never heard of any of these he's a fun one that he will be fun to watch. Um, so those are just some of the receivers. I like, like I said, I think in these fourth, fifth, sixth rounds, Khalil Shakir is the one I would target. Cause I don't think we know his upside yet because I, I, like I said, I was not, I'm not high on Hank Bachmeyer. So I think Shakir has yet to reach his full potential. Just to unpack some of the questions you, you threw out there, Carson strong. What's interesting to me, the, the knee injuries aside, obviously that I wouldn't say it's a red flag, but, a yellow flag. I, I I don't know what the what the things on the beach are when it's like two flags. Is there a hurricane in the area? It's it's not great. Probably, I just know that <laughs> it's problematic. But he's also a guy who is none of his upside is tied to his his athleticism or continuing plays out of the pocket or you know it's it's all based on his rocket arm. My only concern is, and I'll put this to you as someone who watched as much G five football as anybody. Was there a better supporting cast at the skill positions for pass catchers, wide receivers, and tight ends than what Carson Strong worked with last year in the Mountain West? Like his assortment of weapons was incredible. I understand that they had some injuries throughout the year, and you know it was it was pretty rare that they had a full deck every single game. 
But when you look at what they had at tight end, what they had at, you know, on the perimeter, do you think that should impact some of his, his stats or how he's perceived at all as someone who had, at least by G5 standards, an embarrassment of riches to throw to? What do you think? Yeah, I definitely think that that plays into it. You know, like you said, he, he you know, he did torch a lot of bad Mountain West competition and, and he did have, you know, Romeo Dubs and uh, Cole Turner. But his arm is just such a difference maker. I'm not saying this, he's going to be this guy, but to me, he more fits the the Josh Allen type of maybe he could do it because he's got that cannon arm. And and sure, he definitely needs to be in a position to have weapons around. I will give you that, you know, the, the Stefan Diggs and stuff like that. But it, it wasn't just, oh, he's got a rocket arm and launched it all over the field. Like that is what Josh Allen did. Carson Strong was sixth in the country with a 70% completion rate. He had 36 touchdowns and just eight interceptions. He can make all the throws. And, and to me, his his 90, he had a 91.5 passer grade on throws outside the numbers. That was the best among all quarterbacks in this class. So he can make those deep throws. And, and yet he definitely took some chances in college and got away with them because of his arm. He definitely, those eight interceptions, if he played in the SEC, it's probably more than that because he would just, you know, fit ridiculous passes in the seams because of his cannon. He probably won't get away with that in the NFL, but for me, the knee is the concern with him. Um, he ha- he missed his senior year of high school. He's had procedures at the start of last season. The end of last season, he had to clean it up. He's not mobile at all. Um, but I am still really high in Carson Strong. I would take a chance on him in the third round because that you just can't, you can't teach that arm talent and the throws that he makes. And yes, he needs to be in a system where he has talented, you know, fast wide receivers who can get open because if they get open even for a second, he'll hit them. So I'm still high on strong. Yeah. The arm strength, I think is interesting. It's almost like in the NBA when the defense knows that there's one guy on the court that can't shoot threes, it allows them to play a different kind of defense everywhere else where they're like, yeah, you can be wide open for a 30 footer. Go ahead and take it. Analytics say that we can allow that. In the same way, it's so clear in NFL games with how prepared defensive coordinators are. If you're someone who can't push the ball down the field, it puts so much pressure on the rest of the passing game because you have people, you know, the safeties walking down, cutting off, you know, those slant routes and those quick hitters. And it just has this snowball effect on how difficult it can be to move the football if you're not someone who can consistently thread the defense deep. So I'm with you there. Um, One other point I wanted to bring up in terms of betting the NFL draft, obviously we are a betting organization. So we want to put out, you know, some tools and thoughts to help people make some money on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, um, pro football focus, you know, love them, hate them, however you feel about their organization. One thing that they do that's really cool is they go ahead and they do, um, they plot where mock drafts have had certain players throughout the process And it starts to give you a feel, not looking at a single draft, you know, from an expert or from a member of the media, but looking holistically at how the entire market views a player, you can start to get a feel for who's heating up and who isn't. And when you look at Tavon Austin, excuse me, Calvin Austin, the third, who in a lot of ways reminds me of Tavon Austin, um, at the end of the season, he was borderline third or fourth round pick, according to almost every mock draft out there in the market. And now he's moved up close to an entire round, closing in on the end of the second, top of the third round. So I I think that should just inform people. And if you have an opportunity to look at their data for multiple players, incredibly useful because 
that is in a lot of ways how the sports books go ahead and they grade out these, you know, these odds they're putting out there. It's not just based on their own power rankings, which they could get away with if they were handicapping a game, but the market and how people view this so much is driven by the rumor mill and some of the group think that's surrounding it. So I think it would be a stretch to see him go in the second round, but I think if you can see a, a number for him to go off as the next wide receiver at the top of the third round, I think that's just about the right price. So then it becomes a value proposition. If he starts to slide, I, I think every single pick starts to give you a little added value on him. Um, I'm going to go ahead and throw out my thoughts on another G5 player. And when you brought up Carson Strong and his injury issues, it reminded me, different injury, but a similar situation, Grant Calcaterra from SMU. It's a guy who started his career at Oklahoma, actually played with, I believe, Baker Mayfield back in the day. He was all honorable mention, Big 12. So he's proven that he had the talent to succeed at the highest level of college football. And then goes down to SMU after a host of concussions, looked like he was going to retire, his career was going to be over. He ends up getting the green light from the medical community and puts up a great season you know, down there in Dallas. Tested really well, 4.6240 yard dash, great frame, long arms, ability to high point the ball. In the current NFL, you know, the fact that you're not going to need him to block to be valuable, you know, probably in 1990, this guy doesn't get drafted given the, the head injuries and the lack of experience as an inline blocker. Both of those are mitigated by the current NFL. So it's, it's a shame that he has this red flag on his resume, but I think whoever gets him, if he stays healthy, even for two or three years, I think it's going to be a really great steal for a team in the middle rounds, let's say fourth or fifth round to get someone like him because the kind of athleticism he brings to the table and having played in a pass happy offense, I think he's ready to come in run the complete route tree. He's one of the most reliable, you know, hands in the, in the tight end draft class. What do you think about uh, Calcaterra? And also just some thoughts on SMU as another one of those G5 teams. Is it the system? Could anyone have gone in there and put up numbers or do you really like the players coming out of it? Um, I really like uh, Calcaterra. I love that that uh, nugget. I agree with you. I think, you know, he's a guy that's probably going to be hard to bet on because you don't know which team will take a shot on him. Uh, but I agree with you. If your team takes a shot on him late, you have to love the upside. Um, and, yeah, you, you can't say it's a little bit of, you know, obviously they had uh, Tanner Mordecai come in and start throwing the, the ball around. But we, we I, I mentioned two of them, Danny Gray and, and Reggie Roberson, um, both, you know, two wide receivers in this draft as well. Um, they just, they did a good job with transfers with a lot of weapons. Um, I, I agree with you. I just think when you watch it in the NFL nowadays, you see these, you know, tight end unicorns that come in and are so valuable to teams. And this is an excellent draft for G5 tight ends. You know, we talked about Trey McBride, uh, in the last episode, who's the best tight end in this, uh, um, G5 draft class probably goes second round. Um, but then, you know, other guys, Isaiah likely out of coastal Carolina. See, to me, he's the more one I'm, I might worry about system because he's super athletic, caught 12 touchdowns last year, the second most among all tight ends in the country, but he's the, he had just one drop all year. He is the one I worry about because this coastal Carolina offense is so efficient. Everything they do works. They just, they never have a bad play. He had five career touchdowns over 50 yards. He is a freak athlete. But you have to wonder is, okay, your teams, there's such a run-based offense that teams are committing to the run and, and likely sneaks behind them. So he is the one I'd worry about more the system, more than uh, Calcaterra. Um, we already mentioned, you know, Cole Turner's another one. He was third among tight ends in touchdowns. Um, he started as a wide receiver. He 
he reminds me a lot of Mike Kosicki, um, where he's not going to really give you anything as a blocker, but he's fast, he's big, uh, runs like a gazelle, great pass catcher. Um, so this is, I think, a really, really strong tight end class. Uh, Daniel Bellinger from San Diego State's another one that probably gets drafted. Um, I think like four of the top five tight end touchdown leaders in the country were, were G5 guys this year. So this is a fun, this will be a fun draft class for like late round tight ends. To quote our producer, Matt Mitchell, watching San Diego State throw the ball last year, it looked like their quarterbacks were throwing a medicine ball and completing any pass over five air yards seemed like a small miracle. So he could be somebody who flies under the radar just because his quarterback play and play calling and offensive tendencies were just so out of whack throughout the year. Um, I I have a few more thoughts. First, I also want to point out, we gave a lot of love to Bailey Zappi at the top, but I'm just going to put this out there. Is Western Kentucky like an NFL draft, you know, making machine at this point? Seven players from WKU drafted since 2016. It's likely that Zappi's off the board. Stearns could go off the board. And let's not forget about D'Angelo Malone, who was a really good edge rusher and could be somebody who could have, you know, greater success in the NFL where more teams playing that hybrid three-man front and just setting him up, you know, standing upright to go after the passer. He's someone who in his career with the tops, he ended up, I think just in the last two years alone, 32 and a half sacks, or that could be his college career. I'm just looking at my notes, but someone who was very prolific. And honestly, he was one of the only difference makers on that Western Kentucky defense, having bet a lot of Hilltopper games and watched, you know, how teams uh, attack them when their defense was on the field, he got doubled, he got chipped. He was clearly the guy that they wanted to neutralize and he still put up really good numbers. So just another Hilltopper to consider and not be surprised when he comes off the board. I think he's more of like a fifth or sixth round pick, but I think he has all the tools to be someone who is at least a rotational pass rusher at the NFL level right away. Um, Speaking of defenders, I want to give a little bit of love to the MAC conference and one guy who ended up just dominating the pre-draft, pre-combine weigh-ins and tests and everything else. And that's Sterling Weatherford from Miami of Ohio. Just check out some of these numbers. 6'4", 225, 4.57 40-yard dash, 36-inch vertical jump, and a 4.28 short shuttle, which those are all incredibly explosive times. All of them, by the way, beat out Cam Chancellor's numbers. Not saying he's going to come in and beat Cam Chancellor. The guy not only had all the physical tools, but played arguably the most physical brand of football in you know the last 25 years at the position. But I think whoever gets him, he's like Mr. Sub Package. He can play that hybrid role of safety, walk up to the line of scrimmage and be a linebacker and, and help and run support. I think whoever gets him as someone who, this is a, a position of need as, as a pro football fan, it's so obvious to me when teams don't have quality safeties because they need them to be that jack of all trades and, and really come up as, you know, this is going back to when I was first introduced to football. I remember my fourth grade football coach would say the safeties are like the firefighters of the entire defense. Where it's like they have to mitigate the, the damage. They have to make quick decisions and they're put in really difficult positions and these high leverage positions where you make one mistake. That's a touchdown for the other team having been placed in that position and put up really good stats, his tackle numbers were phenomenal for the Red Hawks. I think this is someone who's going to make a team instantly better. And I could see him being a fourth or fifth round pick and then instantly being a starter, depending on the situation. So that's how high I am, I am on Weatherford. Who's another deep sleeper that maybe you're the only one being the flag bearer for. 
So I have three guys I want to shout out that are to me good value picks. That I think if you're if you're if your team calls them, you've probably never heard of them. And to me, I'd be excited about what their upside could be. I think you you always have these G five guys where you're like, I don't even remember him in college. Why did he end up at this small school? And then they end up being a better pro than they were in college. Um, I definitely think there's at least two guys who I could put in that category, and the one that's just a fun one. Um, the first one that I love, I know everyone. There's nothing more boring than watching than having an offensive lineman drafted by your team. You're like, yeah, I don't know. I would be very excited if my team drafted Bernard Raymond out of Central Michigan because he has such an interesting story. He grew up in Austria. He came to America as a foreign exchange student and got a scholarship to Central Michigan after one year of high school football. He actually started at Central Michigan as a tight end, but was switched to tackle in 2020. So this guy is he is a very good athlete for an offensive lineman. He is six foot seven, 305 pounds. Imagine that guy as a tight end. He is still incredibly raw, but his improvement and his size are again, you can't teach the size. And his improvement was what really stood out to me when I was going through his numbers. He allowed zero pressures at all over the last six games of the season. He was the fourth best graded of any offensive tackle in the country. So he's a guy at Central Michigan. If you knew who Central Michigan's tack, I watched a lot of Central Michigan. I didn't know who this guy was until I started doing draft prep. And then I started watching his clips. And, you know, again, the size jumps out immediately. He's a freak athlete for a guy that big. So given his, you know, he's only been playing football for, what, three years? <laughs> so he's a guy I'd be very excited about that we, we have not yet seen his potential because if they can channel his speed and size and continue to help him grow. Like I said, no pressures allowed in the last six weeks. So that's a guy I'd be big on. And another one I think that would be very fun on a defense is Logan Hall out of Houston. Um, he had a very good year, but what I love about him is his versatility. He could play both inside and outside. Houston used him more as a D tackle um, just because Houston's D line was nasty with, you know, Anini and they had all these sick D ends. I think he probably projects more as a D end in the NFL. Um, one of those kind of, gadget edge rushers but he can go inside he's six foot six so he's very tall but he only weighs 283 pounds which gives which gives him you know he is big but he is super fast freaky athletic he needs to get a little better with his hands like at the point of contact but he's got great moves for a pass rusher um so i really like logan hall i think he's a kind of a fun late round project because you can kind of play him um wherever you want and then the last guy or not last guy but another guy i want to give some credit to that at, at the last rounds, I'm like, please, you know, Packers, please take him, please take him, please take him. Uh, is Marcus Jones out of Houston. One of the most electric players in the country. He's Houston's cornerback. He probably projects more as a slot corner in the NFL because he is very small. This dude is crazy fast. And his first step is like shocking how he goes zero to 60 in a step and a half. He is at full speed. He is probably the best kick returner we've seen, you know, in a while, I'm not going to throw out the Devin Hester, D'Angelo Hall names, but I just did. Um, he had nine kick return touchdowns in college. That's tied for an NCAA record. Like I said, he catches the ball. He's at full speed. So Marcus Jones is super, super fun to watch. So he's a guy I definitely want my team taking late in the rounds just because every time he, he catches a punt or a kickoff, he could take it to the house and he could do it very quickly. So Marcus Jones is definitely a name. I'm, I'm excited to see who, who takes him. Yeah, I'm glad that you, you brought him up. Um, I believe he sat out the bowl game for Houston that had an impact uh, on their bowl game. And I think also 
what you're seeing with a lot of these players opting out of the bowl games, was it the right business decision? Yes. Did it hurt him in terms of overall visibility? I also think that came into play because I agree. He's someone who is tailor-made to have a huge impact at, you know, arguably two or three positions right away in the NFL. It'll be interesting to see if they try to just focus him in at one and try to, you know, refine his craft a little bit as opposed to playing him all over the field. But he's certainly somebody that I'm excited to see at the NFL level. And the, the points for, I told you so, or I knew this guy before he was cool, you know, a little bit of college football hipster inside info. Um, I'm excited to talk about him in the years to come. I'm going to end this with uh, just a quick conversation about the college football season coming up. I try to hold off from doing this as much as I can throughout the entire off season, because once you start going down this rabbit hole, it can get difficult to get your mind right and to back out of it. But I'm already looking at week zero. I'm already looking at week one. You know, last year we did a really nice job um, kind of setting the stage for some of the upsets that came in September in college football. Are there any games that you're looking forward to early in the season? And if not, I have a a couple that I'd like to throw your way to just gauge your interest I'll start it with, and maybe this one was already targeted for you, but NC State, who it would far be it from the Wolfpack to buckle under preseason expectations, a a team that I think they've taken the mantle from old school Clemson, where there was a Clemsoning situation. NC State now is just being overhyped to a crazy level. I've seen multiple too early top 25s with them in the top 10. I don't necessarily see that. Um, but they're opening at East Carolina, a team that has been, oh. you know, absolutely just prickly and difficult to deal with. And can you imagine how electric their home crowd is going to be in Greenville with an opportunity to take down potentially a top 10 program? How do you feel about the Pirates? And is that a game that really gets your chili running hot to start the college football season? It's so funny you mentioned that because. I have not looked at the schedule at all. So even as you started talking about NC State, I had no idea who you were going to say they were playing. And I was trying to think of my follow-up. And what I was going to say was, it's not a true come out of nowhere like like he was, but Holt and Aylers might have to be our Bailey Zappi this year because – Whoa, big talk there. I, he just – he's one of those guys where, like, he has so much – he always looks like he's, like, one step away from being, like, nasty. And he just doesn't – really get there and he's back for what his seventh year so i'm hoping yeah i'm hoping he he does get there um i love it just like i said i've not looked at the schedule so just at the top i didn't know you were asking me this at the top of my head i'm excited to bet whoever northern illinois plays to beat the wheels off them early in the year assuming rocky lombardi's back because they were the you know (laughs) they pulled the lucky rabbit out of their hat every game to the mac championship I'm going to continue to lose all my money betting against them. So I'm excited to watch whoever they play in the early non-con beat the brakes off of them. Um, yeah, I like, I mean, Fresno State, they'll probably be a popular one, I think. They kind of jumped that bandwagon, but I'm still riding them. Um, we were on them a lot last year. So Fresno State, definitely one I'm excited about. And yeah, I will be on, we will be on ECU quite a bit this year. <laughs> Northern Illinois opening up uh, with Eastern Illinois, but they do get an opportunity near the end of the month at Kentucky. So oh. a, a, an opportunity to, to show but, out, yeah. you know, bringing up Northern Illinois, it's um, it allows me to bookend what has been a really positive podcast and a lot of good vibes being thrown towards G5 players. 
I would like to do the opposite because for those of you that bet on them in their bowl game, and there was one of my longer legged parlays and needing Northern Illinois to win that game, it's really hard to run a red zone offense inside the 10 for three plays and not throw the ball in the end zone once. So the Huskies were able to accomplish that. They are on my, they're not quite on my do not bet list, but they are certainly a team that as soon as I see that little Husky logo, just starts to fire me up. And that's what college football and college betting is all about. You know, you have teams that have this soft spot for you. You have teams that you'll slam on the table as soon as you think of them. Um, but Northern Illinois is in the doghouse for me, no pun intended. Mike, this has been great. Do you have any other final questions before we wrap uh, part two of our draft G5 podcast here? Yeah, I actually do have one more question. Um, and maybe this is going to be way out of order because I thought of it as you were talking about something else. I was looking at my notes um, to kind of go back to the draft. I was looking at, you know, one position we really haven't talked about at all. And I want to get your thoughts on. Overall, I think everyone agrees this is a very weak running back draft class across the board. We really haven't talked running backs at all in either of these episodes. You know, I think I mentioned last week, I think Tyler Algier is the top G5 guys. But I'm going to run down some of the G5 names I expect to be drafted. These are guys we did like in college. Do you see any of them having realistic NFL starter, you know, upside, even reliable backup, you know, two-headed monster? We got Tyler Algier out of BYU, who I do think he has obviously the most upside. Um, Jerome Ford at Cincinnati is interesting because he, he Alabama transfer obviously break he does have that you know speed that in the games he has speed but he tested really poorly at the combine he ran a four four six and for a guy who's known for being that breakaway speed that was a pretty weak forty time um, and then some of the you know down the list some of the other names obviously our boy sincere McCormick who we love how does he project the NFL Devonte Price from Florida International. Ronnie Rivers from Fresno State, kind of a disappointing year, to be honest with you. Um, Brian Kobach from Toledo, I believe he ended up, did he lead, he finished leading the country in rushing, right? Or did, uh, what's his face for Michigan State? Uh, Shamari Jones, another one, Coastal Carolina. Do you see any of them having, you know, what's kind of the, the ceiling on any of those guys in your opinion? You know, when you're running through the names, um, Sincere McCormick is, is a player who I think certainly can handle an NFL workload. But the one that, I mean, two, two jump for me, Jerome Ford, I don't care about any of his measurables and, you know, quote unquote, playing football in shorts. When I watched him, he was the only thing that was explosive outside of Alec Pierce in the Cincinnati offense. He can be a home run hitter. He has good size at, you know, over 210 pounds at his frame. So I like him a lot. I think he could end up being the best G5 running back from this class, but I'm glad you brought up Devonte price. Cause if you're going to take a swing and, you know, hope for an Alfred Morris type player late in the draft who ends up coming in as a rookie and running for over a thousand yards, I want a home run hitter. I want someone who in a current NFL landscape, where in most cases you have three and four wide receivers on the field, you're spreading things out. He is a legit sub four, four guy. And he had some huge runs for the Panthers this year, an FIU offense that was a mess otherwise. So he's my, he's my pick to, if he ends up going in the sixth and seventh round, I would feel really good if I needed a rotational running back um, from an NFL perspective to, to add into the mix. I think he's somebody who could pop going from a bad offensive situation to FIU. If he gets in the right situation in the NFL, I think that could be really advantageous for him. So I'm glad yeah, to see a- that he's on people's radar at least. He's a crazy one. When I was looking through like different mock drafts from, you know, 
the 10,000 websites that do mock drafts. Like I saw his name popping in like the fourth round. And I think one of them had him like third round. And then there were drafts that had him seventh round and there were drafts that had him undrafted. He definitely seems to be the one where people cannot get a read on him where, you know, like I said, he's, he's maybe the most widely, the widest range of draft projections I've seen of any player in the G5. So I, I'm glad you kind of went into a little more detail on price because he is kind of my one I'm most interested to see where he ends up. Yeah, one of the hard things uh, to kind of quantify or, you know, put a grade to or really understand is, and I'll, I'll put myself outside of the draft circles. That's not something that I, I do for the action network or spend a lot of time kind of dissecting. But one of the hardest parts is understanding the importance of pass protection from the running back position. And every single thing that I read about him, it was in the weakness category. And that makes it difficult for teams. Like you have to be such a plus pass catcher to offset that because in a lot of cases, yes, you know, they're going to bring him in to be a change of pace, but if it's a pass play, even if he's you know running a route, the quarterback needs to have the faith in him. If he calls an audible because the numbers aren't right, you know, at the line of scrimmage that can he actually add any value or protect your number one asset for your NFL franchise. And I think that's what keeps a lot of these home run hitter running backs who are kind of just, you know, a, a single type player. And he's that speed player keeps them on the sideline because they can't be trustworthy in pass protection. You draft Devontae Price, the Eagles, because they have like 17 players that are just like him and they just continue to sign and draft running backs that are the exact same player. He has Eagles written all over him. All right, you heard it here first. Mike Ionello calling a shot. Price to the Eagles, I'm sure an exact bet. If you can find a book that'll take it, I'll give you, you know, 50 to one odds on something like that. So I, I like ending it on that note for Mike Ionello. I'm Mike Calabrese. This has been the Group of Five Deep Dive under the Big Bets on Campus podcast banner. Excited to bring you college football contents. Uh, we'll be back over the summer getting into season previews, futures, all that good stuff to get you fired up for the return of college football at the end of August, getting into week zero. We'll be here with all the G5 action and also hopefully to break down some of the musical chairs. You know, the Big 12 essentially going in and raiding the AAC. How does the AAC respond? The Sun Belt now potentially positioned to be the strongest G5 conference moving forward. Lots of interesting intrigue to dig into there. And as we said in the podcast last week, maybe they'll send us to Sunbelt Media Days. It's going to keep throwing that out there, speaking it into reality, a little bit of magical thinking. And be sure to check out our college baseball content starting soon here with Colin Wilson. We'll be looking at everything on the collegiate diamond leading all the way to Omaha, where all roads end for college baseball programs. Should be really exciting content. Make sure to keep an eye on your podcast feed for that coming down the pipe. All right, that's it for us. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the NFL Draft.